You're listening to The New Paris. This week, we're going to jump right into it. We've got a fabulous guest. We're with Lauren Collins, a longtime staff writer for The New Yorker and the author of one of my favorite books of the last year, When in French, which is now available in paperback in the UK and in November will be available in the US in paperback. Lauren, welcome. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, what does it feel like to see your book in so many different forms? Well, the best thing has been seeing it um, in some French bookstores, often posed um, just next to yours, which, so cool. which is a big thrill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was glad you took a picture of that one. You know, a Galignani, um, yeah. Exactly. Actually, my I've seen it everywhere, your book. Um, well, that's probably... Your distribution is great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was, there was one hilarious picture a friend of mine sent me from um, a bookstore. I think it was like a Waterstones in deepest Yorkshire, she she said. And um, <laughs> it was for some reason on the opposite side of the sports shelf, like oh, yeah, kind of sure. fa- facing off against Usain Bolt. <laughs> I was like, me versus Usain. I'm not sure about that one. But no, it's, it's really fun to see it out. And I'm happy it's in paperback because um, it just means that it's accessible to all the more people. More people I yeah. feel like as expats, I, or as an expat and Lindsay's the same, I almost read everything that other people write about their experiences in France, but your angle was so unique. Why did you decide on language sort of framing your experience here? Um, uh, thank you, first of all. And it was really important to me to have distinct parameters. Um, and I write about this dilemma. I mean, it was a dilemma for me personally, but also professionally. Um, you have these experiences and you think, wow, that was so French. Um, I thought that yesterday <laughs> yeah. when this perfectly coiffed woman in like beautiful shoes and this nice tweed suit just shamelessly cut in line in front of me at the bookstore and then lit into me when I had the temerity to call her out for it. Um, so oh, French. I'm glad you called then, her out on that though. But I'm then usually the thing is, you're like, I have no idea if that was French or not. Maybe there was just a rude lady in front of me <laughs> at the bookstore. And so I didn't want to do this thing where I was just kind of like uselessly um, generalizing. And, uh, you know, I was wary of that. I was afraid that I would kind of slip into that trap if I didn't have some very um, just concrete uh, guidelines or kind of parameters for what I was writing about. So I thought the language, um, every French person, as far as I know, speaks the French language. And so I felt like it really was a unifying trait that I could then look at to draw some kind of like quasi-global conclusions about French people rather than just um, basing it on more anecdotal observations of, quote, air quote, what French people are like. But it wasn't just limited to French speakers in France. Um, You speak about French speakers in Geneva and you look at the, the language acquisition in the colony, the former colonies, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and even in the United States. I mean, what was fascinating also was how you talk about um, just in, just as a as a reference for for how um, not I mean, seemingly easy it is to learn French. I mean, that already made me think like, okay, maybe that's one of the reasons why French is still taught in in the United States as a as a as an option among Spanish. Right. I mean, but the thing that's fascinating about that, well, right. First of all, I mean, I wanted to I wanted to know like can a language change the way you see the world? Mm. Um, and so the language I was learning was French, but I, I, you know, I wanted this to be applicable to almost any language. Like if you're learning Swahili, do you get something different out of it? Um, and so I would read these like amazing things like that Russian speakers could, could identify different colors of blue faster than people who didn't speak mm. Russian. That's, that's true. I mean, that's a pretty wow. legitimate study. Some of them are more far-fetched, but I wanted to see how that worked. And French was kind of my vessel mm-hmm. um, for that investigation. But the thing that's so funny about French and English, and I mean, they have this long kind of 
you know, tortured but passionate <laughs> relationship together. And then if you talk about countries, I mean, I described the U.S., the U.K., and France as this kind of, you know, long-term freaky love triangle. <laughs> uh, it seems, you know, the two, there's always two countries who are pairing off at any given moment in time. I think the U.K. might be the odd one out um, at the moment with with Brexit and all that. But the thing about um, French and English is, yes, there are these thousands and thousands of words that the two languages have in common, but the tricky part is you don't know which ones. <laughs> so in some ways, I mean, English speakers definitely have a leg up. I was talking to um, a Chinese colleague who learned English at like age eight, started at eight, and is now a staff writer for The New Yorker. Wow. Um, about this and she said yeah I was so bitter when I moved to the US and people were taking French as a so-called foreign language like <laughs> to me they just seemed like dialects well I mean you it's the same alphabet at least right yeah. you have a working framework but it is so different isn't it really I mean even I think that I don't feel myself when I speak in French I always have mm. this problem because just even the way that you have to kind of deliver I don't know I have, almost have to be more monotonous and right. well, Wodehouse described the um, is different. I, he had a great quote about the hangdog look of an Englishman mm. about to speak French <laughs> I love that. but <laughs> it's like almost there's a kind of physical um, sensuality right to me I mean that's the way it feels mm. to an English-speaking person's mouth the way the that you're making these yeah. O's and kind of contorting your your lips and there's something a little bit you know when you start out something um, Mortifying, yeah, totally about it, right? And yeah. then, I mean, we our, also use our tongue right. more in English than they do in French, okay. and I feel like that is something I'm very aware of when I'm speaking. Uh, if I'm thinking about it, and, yeah, you know, and then I'll be hyper aware of like, oh yeah, when I speak French, it's you know everything just sort of stays inside your mouth, right? <laughs> and and there's less of this overt expression. Well, I have this totally unscientific theory, or really, it's, <laughs> okay, it's not even a theory. It's it, it's yeah, not not to the theory stage yet. Maybe hypothesis. Okay. That um, I wonder if you know you see these great looking older French women, and we have all these books about the French this, the French that. How do they look? So I'm like, I wonder if those kind of perfect wrinkles that form the French <laughs> women's faces, because they're always in the same places, don't have to do, don't have something to do with the kind of set of the face yeah, as you as you physically form the words. I, I like in the book um how we kind of follow your journey and you know, settling into the country as well. And also your marriage, it's very personal in a way, very research, but then you have this really personal side. How was like learning the language along the way? How did that make you feel more settled or did you feel more alien or other? How did that play out? It's funny. I mean, I'm tempted to answer that question in both directions, of okay. course. So first of all, let's say I met my husband who is French while living in an Anglophone, you know, living in London, living in an English-speaking country. Um, so it wasn't until we moved, uh, kicking and screaming, some of us more than others, but um, <laughs> to Switzerland, um, that, you know, I got there. And not only could I not do anything, but I suddenly had this awareness that Olivier, my husband, was like, had this secret life in a way that was totally inaccessible to me. I mean, you know, when we've been living in England, we go into a restaurant and it, it was like the third party interlocutor then came into our life in French and I never knew what he was saying to anybody else. Yeah. Um, so that was that was strange for me. And then... Was this, it like he revealed another side of himself? Well, almost? I didn't know. I like had no na idea. Gone I was native. Like, I was like, maybe he's the same person or may maybe I married this <laughs> like, you know, total loser and I just have no idea. But... um. It was it was a day, and this is was both a pivotal. Mo I mean, this was a pivotal moment 
in our relationship and in my relationship to French when we got in some, you know, we got in some kind of fight, probably brought on by living in Geneva, <laughs> kicking and screaming. And um, he said to me, talking to you in English is like touching you with gloves. And that just went straight to my heart. I mean, mm. you know, even talking about it, I mean, that slayed me. such a beautiful expression. It yeah, is. I know. I was like, you're pretty good at English. <laughs> like, I think I'll just, that's like the best line in my book. Um, thanks for, for writing it. But, um, but it was then that I thought, like, how can I... Um, attempt to really be with this person and to share mm. life with this person if if I don't find out what what he's about in his yeah. kind of natural, you know, mental and emotional state, which I think your first language is, is of course, that. I mean, it's the thing, you know, when you stub your toe or according to, <laughs> according to some people, um, you know, have an orgasm even. It's the language you're going to scream out in, whether for good or for bad, for the rest of your life. So I thought, you, you know, there's no way that this can go on if I don't at least make an effort to um, absorb some of of where it would be like never visiting the place, never of visiting course. the country yeah. that your spouse Do you came from. Do you communicate in English or French now? Um, we're kind of, I like to say we're transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> We've always been an English speaking couple, but now we have, you know, Fungly. equally French and English speaking kids. Well, one of them doesn't speak because he's too young, but uh, as our daughter's language has bloomed. Um, French has, you know, entered our household mm. as as another, um, as an equally spoken language. And, you know, I'm kind of the odd person out in their little um, French-speaking dyad now. So um, we do both. I mean, it depends. There are also, sometimes it's situational. I mean, mm -hmm. now there are things where because I never did them in English, such as becoming a homeowner <laughs> or yes, something like that, where I only know the stuff in French. I mean, I say like age and, you know, we have like an assemblée générale, like the um, meeting for the for the tenants, you know. Yeah. See, I don't know how to say it in English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's Whatever, yeah, I, I guess it's co-op meeting yeah. for our apartment. but Or like having a baby, I've only done that in French. And so <laughs> Poussette comes comes much more naturally mm. than um, stroller stroller pusset and it's funny like i've noticed that all of the bilingual expat whatever mothers that i know in paris all say pusset no matter what their level of french is and it's just this like perfectly designed word that everybody starts using the second they're exposed to it's it because you push the thing right you, push, yeah, you don't true. stroll it that's true like, it's not a stroll taking your screaming you know, <laughs> baby out in, a, in yeah. that thing with wheels that no, should not right. any longer be called a, pusa, a stroller but see i can't even sometimes say sometimes the french language is more logical yeah but, but that one really i mean that one gets in there <clears> i've just noticed everyone says pousset even people who like yeah, really I don't feel speak like french. even friends in america say pousset really yeah really <laughs> why maybe i don't know yeah. Maybe if they've I been here, they hear it once and then it enters their brain and it won't oh, leave. I guess there's push chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> push that, sounds, chair. that sounds like something a Victorian nanny It does sound very Victorian. Uses. Yeah. yeah. But interesting what you talk about these two identities and not necessarily knowing, feeling like you don't know Olivier. I, to this day, feel like I'm a bit of two different people. Right. Uh, and I don't know if someone who is born, like your daughter, mm. I don't know if she will feel that way to the degree that someone who enters into another culture later in life. Uh, Do you mean feel. because you have to sort of act in a different way when you're There's, French? It's can you like, tell us about split. tell us about English Lindsay and French Lindsay? Well, <laughs> I mean, I honestly think that there's, um, I don't know, I feel like I can have a little bit more attitude in French. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. She's and, sassy. And also the French, 
when you if, if you immediately start speaking to French people in French, they don't know who you are in English. Mm. They don't have that whole backstory, that history, and you can be a, I mean, you can be a little bit more assertive mm. or shyer. I mean, honestly, right. it depends what your initial starting point is. But I just found that I was sort of like well, I don't care. And some of these words that I'm using don't ha hold the same weight for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm allowing myself the room to use them. Whereas maybe in the US, I would have been maybe more polite or sorry, in English, I would have been more polite so or dance around a topic. I mean, I think there are a few things going on there. One is, I mean, to me, that happens sometimes even in English when I was living in London. Because, in London, okay. But you are like free from a lot of just class associations, sure. geographical associations. I mean, you don't know, you know, you open your mouth and nobody knows where you went to college or right. what your parents, but that's, you know, at a totally different level in a second. I mean, you're just missing so many markers and that can be frustrating when you're trying to assess the speaker, when you're trying to assess other people. But when you're the person speaking, I mean, how liberating. And there's actually this thing called the emancipatory detachment effect if I'm remembering correctly, hmm. um, where scientists, uh, you know, did all these tests asking people basically in their first and second languages, like, would you push a person in front of a train if X, Y, Z? And people were more likely to push the person in front of the train, you know, and there's a good side to the pushing. It's yeah. like you save five people. Or, okay. I don't okay. know what. Um, it's not purely out of spite, <laughs> but to push the person in front of the train in their second language because somehow it was less ah, emotional. Like there, there are even moral yeah. distinctions yeah. Um, in, in how we operate in second languages. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people about this and, I would say the vast majority of even real lifelong bilinguals told me at least that they felt different in, in, another language. in the different but languages. But what happens is then you go back to your home country where everybody is for the most part speaking one language uh, and you feel a little off. So right. I go back, yeah. I go back, I was just in the States and, um, and I do feel a little bit strange. I feel strange because sometimes I forget where I am mm. and French things come out. So that's more of just a habit of, you know, okay, I'm used to going between languages and in, in France that works, but you know, right. because of my environment, but in the U S I can't do that. Even the but little things you're like, the, what people don't say Sava around here I, yeah. <laughs> because, because you know, you start saying that and then it's a great expression. Like it's so relevant. With my husband, so for instance, I would, I always like on a text or something say Sava just because how are you doing then takes on this kind of you like, have to like really explain what you, yeah, yeah yeah where it's just like a hi yeah but that also frustrated me in the beginning too because i was like people are just saying sava and they're not waiting for you to answer yeah, that's true it's sort of and like a token it is yeah greeting except that what happens if you're on the bus next to someone right? i've had this happen you're next to the elderly <laughs> because the elderly love to take the bus and they love they're waiting for someone to talk to them so i may i've made eye contact with you know passengers and said Ça va, ça va bien. And, you know, and then they launch into something like, oh, God, I just came from the doctor. My hip is messed <laughs> up. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, I just so, love the ça va escalation. Yeah, where it just, it's like ça va, ça va, ça va. And, you know, yeah. it could go on. Ça va bien, ever, yeah. It's the answer and the question. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But so do you feel now that you've been in Paris for uh, two years, two years <clears throat> how... As you're mastering the language, obviously you're you're writing more in French. Mm. You are, um, it, it comes into your work. You're reporting on things, you know, conceivably with people who don't necessarily speak English. So it does require a lot of comprehension on your part. So, how does that make you feel more adjusted? Well, I mean, one of the greatest things for me was reporting on the presidential election this year, and that was, you know, I really um, made it a point. I really wanted to get out of Paris and not just 
talk to, you know, kind of pundits and experts and politicians themselves, but to go all around the country. And that um, was so good for me. I mean, I felt my level of French just skyrocketing um, because it really only works when the people don't understand English. I mean, if you're going to find a way, if, if you're looking for, if you're looking to improve your mastery of the language, it has to be with people who don't speak English at all. And I've seen this even Mm -hmm. with my children. Um, You know, Olivia and my husband had been speaking exclusive French to our daughter for like two years. And I knew she understood it because he would say like, go throw that in the trash can and she would do it. But she was only generating English because she knows Olivier understands. And then she went uh, to her grandparents for a week this summer and came back. And it's, it's been French, French, French ever since. I mean, it was like it unlocked mm-hmm. all this dormant um, language mm-hmm. structure. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, getting out, going, you know, to the south of France, to the north of France, to the west of France, to the east of France, and talking to people who, um, you know, had no connection to English was was really important for me. And um you know, it's. I love how you kind of amass different vocabularies. Like I was saying, I had kind of, now I have this baby vocabulary and I have this mm-hmm. real estate vocabulary and a political vocabulary as well is, you know, probably a good thing to um, to take on if you're going to live in a society. So that was, that was really good for me. It, what's interesting about that too is that I find, uh, and I imagine you, you must feel the same way, is that <clears throat> as a reporter, you are more likely to get the real stories out of people if you're not expecting them to speak English. Uh, because I mean, Undoubtedly. For the, for the book, I mean, I mean, I don't know how some people do the reporting they do and right. expect it to all be done in English because, you know, I would never have gotten people to open up to me for the book. Um, right. And, and even if it's just a line or something that I know they wouldn't have been able to communicate in English but is perfectly expressed in French, I mean, that must be... Absolutely. A I mean, you just you lose, you lose so much detail, even people who do speak English. I mean, it's like, uh, and, and my French isn't, I mean, your French is so, is, I'm like impeccable, you know, here are these, here are these <laughs> words sneaking in. But um, sometimes if, if I feel that I haven't elicited enough from someone, like, I mean, this is just a little repertorial trick, but I, like, maybe someone has a strong accent and it's very, it's hard for me to understand. I'll email and follow up and say, and ask questions in French via email, and then they can write mm. in French, because I, you have to have it, you have to have it in their mm-hmm. language if you want any texture or any level of, you know, feeling or emotion, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. One of the reasons that um, we wanted to talk to you as well, because we're talking about new things in, in France, and I loved that mention in your book about when you went to the committee Right. I, I, what is that committee The committee called? with the like, eight initials. Okay. The yeah. committee, I have to. I, I really, <laughs> that was my real like laugh out loud moment because, it's, you know, you painted the picture so well. It is well. the Delegation Générale à la Langue Française. Um, oh, sorry. That is the big, that's, it is a subcommittee of that <laughs> committee <laughs> called the, um, sorry, Gen- Delegation Générale à la Langue Française, Commission Générale du Terminologie et de Néologie. So D G L F C G T N. The acronym is like not that. that much easier. But what it is? That's, <laughs> acronyms. that's the. Um, uh, so there's actually this mistaken assumption that the Académie Française is the gatekeeper of the French, the one that you know rejects the English yeah. words mm-hmm. and comes up with totally far-fetched uh, French alternatives. Mot like dièse. Yeah. For hashtag. Mot no. Does that anyone? Did not, you, no, no. Of that, course not. That, that did possible. not take. I know. That's the thing. They have oh. to be better. Cra- like I don't. I, I actually think it's a totally worthy 
mission. Sure. Um, trying to trying to come up with French alternatives for English words, but they have to be better. And that's what happened when I sat in on this committee. I How was long like, were you there for? Uh, it was. It went on for hours, you know, and it was totally inconclusive as to what they were going to say for hot desking or something. That <laughs> I was like, I've never even heard of that in English. So a lot like, of it fo- is focus te- on hashtag, isn't it? A um, lot of it is tech well, language. Well, they have to do it for yeah. kind of every sector of society. And the day I went, it was like economy, which I kind of could keep up with. And then chemistry was the oh, second no. part. And at the end, it was also crazy because, I mean, there were you know, these incredibly venerable experts on the French language, but they didn't really get anyone who's who had like a very colloquial level of English. And obviously they're colloquialisms that they're trying to, you know, reverse engineer uh, into French. And so at the end, they, they finally, you know, I'm kind of like sitting on my hands the whole time. Like, do I chime in here? Do I tell them that like <laughs> um, business as usual, like <laughs> isn't used as commonly in English? Yeah, as is, is they it worth translating? Yeah. And, um, but at the end they said, what, Madame Collinsa, what is your opinion on this translation for like, it was some chemical process like adsor- absorption technique, pre- pressure. Of course, they ask you about that. I don't know what. And I was like, I have absolutely, absolutely no, no idea. idea. Um, but so anyway, they have this committee and they do things like say that French people should say uh, texto pornographique instead of sexting <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that. And it's great. I mean, don't you, what a... I, I thought it was like the most amazing thing to be able to go to the language factory totally. and see these words getting made. I mean, to really be at the source, it was like hearing someone tell a joke for the first time. I mean, if I was like out in the wild and heard someone say texto pornographique, <laughs> and I would think, where did that come from? I mean, how amazing to just trace it. Do you think the- they're at all involved in translating the titles of films? <laughs> oh, I remember like, um, oh. Friends with Benefits was just sex friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or what was, um, there was like a Zac Efron movie called like Dirty Pappy or yeah. something recently. Did I get, was that it? They're actually my favorite thing to see on, on the Metro just yeah. every now and then. It's like, that is definitely nothing like the title. But anyway. Right. But you right. know, the, the Quebecois are known for doing this. Are you know, they? they'll, they'll say instead of, you know, in France, we'll say Bon Weekend and they mm. say Bonne fin de semaine. Because right. they don't want to incorporate English language, uh, English words, except that just now they finally accepted grilled cheese on the menus, <laughs> on restaurant menus, instead well, of having to say it is an important one. Well, instead of having to say le sandwich au fromage fondant, right? It's a little, it's a little laborious right. to exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, another laborious one is just the other day I wanted, I was writing something in French. Why would I have needed to say this word? I can't tell you. But I was like, I wonder what the word gunk is in French. <laughs> <laughs> and I look it up, and it was like la substance. And yeah. Nope, it's not. Like nope. Crestfallen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like occasionally you do miss just the those great, like kind of thrusting, direct, blunt English. But, alternative, isn't it? Yeah. but alternatively, there are some words that work really well in French, like quand même. Right. But which I would never say in English, but I use all the time. I mean, I part, part of learning another language is about mimicry, isn't mm. it? And so often I'm saying comem, but that's just like, you know, it works Alice at- would just never say that. I am like, like oh, yeah. really? I'm not, I'm not <laughs> up to comem level. Comem level just I mean, that's all I've got, basically. <laughs> it's, it's a fun one to add. But that- I like frillers. Uh, I don't think that exists in English, right? We don't have someone who's frileuse, who's uh, who's someone who gets cold easily. Yeah, see, there's less impactful. So there are, you know, on the other hand, there are French words that are just really beautiful. Um, (laughs) So in terms of 
how, uh, you know, for your work, you've, you've been observing political changes and cultural changes. And we just learned last week, um, of course, not very surprising uh, as an announcement, but that uh, Paris will host the Olympic Games in 2024 uh, after having competition with no one. Uh, <laughs> but, but this is, you know, still something that... It's exciting. Gen- I don't well, know. I'm excited. It, well, it generated a lot of mixed feelings, understandably, yeah. because you've got the issues of cost and um, infrastructure, and is it really going to create jobs? And of course, you know, they have one uh, stadium or one structure that they have to build. Everything else is existing, but I do feel like the the city is maybe using this as an opportunity to b- uh, open up their doors uh, and be a little bit more welcoming to their northern uh, suburban neighbors who they've uh, treated kind of poorly, well, not kind of, I mean, mm. visibly poorly over the years and and made these people feel neglected. I mean, there's extremely high unemployment. So as someone who's thinking of the language of, you know, what it means to be French, uh, do you think that the, 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 the work leading up to this Olympic Games might actually do more good than we're thinking? Well, I mean, the Olympics, it's so funny the way people react to it. <laughs> Olivia came home from work the other day and said, yes, yeah, so it was the day that, that the bid was finally confirmed. And he said, so there's been a mad scramble at work for people um, to take, va- who's going to get to take vacation during the Olympic Games so they can rent their apartments out and make a million dollars on Airbnb. Oh, it's, it's 2024. So, they're already talking about it. Amazing. Exa- um, no, but th- I mean, this is for yeah. real. He yeah. wasn't even kidding. Um, people are already putting in for vacation just to flee town and like run out their apartments. But, uh, you know, Paris has been pushing for these games for a long time. And I think it's part of, um, yeah, this uh, attempt to kind of reinvent this. I mean, it's kind of the most ambitious reinvention of the city, maybe since Osma. I don't know. But the, what is it? Le Grand Paris, the Le plan. Grand, yep. mm-hmm. And when is that? When is the plan? I, I mean, mean, it's for 2020 or 2026, well, no. isn't it? So I've, I've read numerous reports. Some are saying, um, especially in the in light of the recent developments with the Olympics, mm. that these are there. It has different elements, stages, uh, right, the different stages, which would be done by 2030, okay. some of which would be done in time for the game. So okay. I talked talk to Alice about that uh, Grand Express train to the airport which they originally said 2023 now i'm hearing 2024 just in time for the olympics which yeah, sounds I mean, they kind of have to have that yeah they the really olympics. need to have that um so this is we're talking about a long project but that started with sarkozy so right i think know. infrastructure i'm pro infrastructure all for infrastructure but you just worry with olympic games that it's going to be that thing that happens to every single city that hosts exactly. olympics which is the kind of you know four years later it's like the chernobyl looking pool um, yes, that nobody's weird, like, ever used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I think if if they're talking about extending, um, you know, amenities beyond beyond the the boundaries of of Paris as we know now, and they're really going to do that. I mean, that's a good thing. Cool. Well, I mean, I hope. Let's hope so. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is there's been so much talk for so long about how to improve the relationship with the you know just the, the the people just over the beltway right right uh and um for whatever reason that physical delineation um causes a handful of problems um to the city so um if it, if it means that those people can have better access to culture and get into the city and participate and feel included then 
you know, hopefully that'll be a good thing. Uh, Lauren, it's been fabulous to have you. Thanks, it went Lauren. by too quickly. We love your book. So we love your book. No, are, you, are you sure you don't want to do like a double header? Because uh, I have a lot. I can talk. How about we, we do a part two? Yeah, no, that well, was great. Thank this was you this so was a teaser, and we'll have you back on, uh, hopefully, to talk about some other yeah, big things. Everyone needs to read When in French. When in uh, French, fabulous read. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Out in paperback, pick it up, makes a good Christmas gift. And this was our episode of The New Paris this week. We'll be back very soon to talk about my favorite beverage, coffee. Thanks for joining. Thanks.